Welcome back to The Wise Man's Page, the daily podcast where we read Patrick Rothfuss's The Wise Man's Fear, page by page. This is page 719, seeming terribly impolite. Every culture is different, but one thing is always true. The surest way to give offense is to refuse the hospitality of your host. The boy scurried off with my things, and the old woman took my arm, leading me away. I resigned myself somewhat gratefully to her company, and we walked quietly until we came to a deep valley that opened suddenly in front of us. It was green, with a stream at the bottom and sheltered from the persistent wind. What would you say of such a thing? she asked, gesturing to the hidden valley. It is much like a demra. She patted my arm affectionately. You have the gift of saying without saying. That is rare for one as you are. She began to make her way down into the valley, keeping one hand on my arm for support as she stepped carefully along a narrow rocky path that twisted along the valley wall. I spotted a young boy with a herd of sheep not too far off. He waved to us, but did not call out. We made our way to the valley bottom, where the stream rolled white over stones. It made clear pools where I could see the ripples of fish stirring in the water. Would you call this beautiful? she asked after we looked for a while. Yes. Why? Uncertainty. Perhaps it's movement. The stone moved not at all, and you called it beautiful as well. Questioning. It is not the nature of stone to move. Perhaps it is beauty to move according to your nature. She nodded as if my answer pleased her. We continued to watch the water. Have you heard of the Latantha? she asked. No. Regret. But perhaps I simply do not know the word. She turned, and we made our way along the valley floor until we came to a wider spot with the carefully groomed look of a garden. In the center of it was a tall tree the like of which I had never seen before. We stopped at the edge of the clearing. This is the sword tree, she said and made a gesture I did not recognize, brushing the back of her hand against her cheek. The Latantha. Would you say it is beautiful? I watched it for a moment. Curiosity. I would enjoy seeing it more closely. That is not allowed. Emphatic. I nodded and watched it as well as I could from this distance. It had high, arching branches like an oak, but its leaves were broad, flat, and spun in odd circles when they caught the wind. Yes, I answered, after a long while. That's the page. I'm Jeremy. I'm Jordana. I'm Nick. Yee, this is so exciting! Because it's going to be so important! <laughs> <laughs> well, this this does lead me to wonder something I have never wondered before, which is, if the, the sword tree is pretty culturally important to the Adim from what we learn later on, it's kind of like part of a rite of passage into adulthood. Is there more than one of them? Does every Adem in the world have to come to this village to do this? Do they have their own kind of rituals that they do instead? Is there a, a sword tree in every village? I am, I am curious. Yeah, good question. Let's keep an eye out. I'm not sure if that's ever answered. I'm also not sure if Hert is like the capital or like a more important town. It doesn't seem to be. It just seems to be where Shaheen is. But then again, um, who knows? You know, it, it could be. It could be the capital or it could be important because that's where the sword tree is. Interesting that there's another 
important tree so close to the cafe wouldn't you say mm-hmm. maybe he's trying to keep us guessing about what which which tree on the cover of the first book is the tree that we're meant to be thinking about that is definitely not he... the sword tree on the cover i'm just saying well he's wearing clothes in on the cover so uh can't be the cafe either then it's a different tree but it's definitely not the right shape for the sword tree uh, another sort of world building element of adam culture that i'm interested to pick at we haven't seen any horses. We have seen evidence of goat and sheep herding. I am left to wonder, like, is their economy primarily pastoral in the sense of like herding large flocks of animals who you rely on for a lot of your subsistence? And if so, are the Adem nomadic or semi-nomadic the way, for example, the Mongols were? Well, well, the Mongols like were, were semi-nomadic. They were a herding people and they did have like, settlements like towns but they weren't occupied 365 days of the year you know especially you know in ye olden times people would kind of like gather there when there was a reason to gather there and then they would leave when that reason was concluded and they would come back like the next year well i have a a partial answer for that the and this is explicit in the text the adam's economy is based on their mercenaries that's their prime export and that's where most of their money comes from Right, but economy doesn't feed like mo- that. That money doesn't necessarily feed you or clothe you if you don't have the resources to do that yourself. And no economy, is, especially in like a pre-modern context, is is service based entirely. No, I'm I'm sure they do some level of, of subsistence farming. I'm sure a lot of that happens. But like the Adem are fabulously wealthy. Like the, this is, I think it's explicit in the text that much of their like most of their economy comes from their mercenaries, and they send a large quantity of their earnings back to Ademra and they do a fair bit of trading. Like obviously not everything they eat comes from that, but that's their where most of their economy is. And I think that, you know, much of the food is probably subsistence if it's not purchased from the traders who come up to the storm wall. I guess what I'm saying is it seems like sheep are culturally significant because we have evidence of multiple different kinds of like shepherds in a pretty short space so i am left to wonder perhaps i'm left to wonder like how important that is to their culture especially in olden times before they had established the practice of sending out adam mercenaries into the world they weren't always trading with people they maybe they started out as like a pastoral herding culture and if they are semi-nomadic, that would also relate them to the Adimaru, who are nomadic. This this is all very speculative, and I would like to sit on my fence. Disgusting. I love you too. Do you have any anything you wanted to say on this page, Jordana? Uh, beyond that, I'm like very excited for the coming pages because we are seeing this sword tree for the first time, and like things are happening. I like that there's sort of this weird i don't know it's not like relationship building because they're not really doing that yet but they're like the two of them are like walking and chatting and it just seems very like lovely but also part of my brain is is can't remember exactly what happens next and it's like but what if she hurts his feelings because she's lying to him I'm here to tell you, she doesn't exactly hurt his feelings, but there, I think you're right that like this conversation is working on multiple levels because they, I think that this is 
in some sense, like a genuine kind of like philosophical back and forth. How do you define what is beautiful? But she is also looking to see like, what is this guy's understanding of the world? Reasonable. Okay. I do have two other notes. I'm just trying to think of like which one will require less chatting. Okay. So one is that she does an action that feels familiar. And I, I can't remember if it's important or not later, or maybe if it happens again later when she like, puts the her hand against her cheek the back of her hand against her cheek is that an action that we see later is it important am i going insane i think it's probably a a new concept that quote hasn't encountered yet with tempe it's probably something that's more complicated that just hasn't come up i'm not sure let's keep an eye out and see if it does come up again but i think it's just to um signal to quote that he's having a more sophisticated conversation with shaheen than he ever had with tempe reasonable yeah. okay she's using vocabulary he doesn't he doesn't have yeah it does make me think grasp of... of his language is much better than tempe also mm. that's yeah. worth mentioning or sorry well, no they're speaking in a demic aren't they yeah, it yeah seems like i think there's this... yeah. i think she would as part of this test i think she wants to see how much of our language does he know and she seems impressed right because on the previous page she says like you speak pretty well for a barbarian you know you're you're very polite um the motion of like touching her face with the back of her hand does kind of put me in mind of like getting brushed by one of the leaves of the sword tree, getting hit with it flat on rather than edge on. Hmm. Okay. So other, other question being uh quoth says about the hidden Valley, it is much like a Demra. And then Shaheen says, you have the gift of saying without saying, and I don't understand this. <laughs> he's he's avoiding answering her questions <laughs> he's saying like he's giving non-answers and i don't know if she's being sincere about saying you have the gift or if she's being a little bit like all right funny man like you can dodge my questions like that's a gift you have the gift of being able to answer my questions without actually answering them well see that's not how i read it at all i think that he is demonstrating what tempe was trying to teach him earlier about saying a lot without saying much i think he's being completely sincere when he says this hidden valley is much like a Demra. Like it's it's deep and beautiful, but it's also like cut off and hidden away. And like there's there's lots to see under the surface. I think that's kind of what he's getting at. And I think that she's being genuine when she says, okay, you're not talking like a baby. You picked up at least something of how to say a lot without using too many words, which is rare for a barbarian. Hmm, perhaps. It could really go either way. But I mean, I think the point of it, Jordana, is that we're meant to read into what he's saying when he says it is much like a Demer, like we're meant to think about how is this valley like a Demer? What's he say? What's he getting at there? What metaphorical things is he seeing? Uh, and Rothfuss is going to let us try and decide that for ourselves rather than spoon feed it to, to us. I see. Okay. The only other thing I wanted to call out is that um, when she asks, have you heard of the Latantha? What she's actually asking is, did Tempe tell you about this closely guarded cultural secret? Mm, extremely true. <laughs> and it pleases her that the answer is no. Well, it both pleases and displeases her, as we will learn later on. Well, that's complicated. I like life, huh? Well, he's got himself into a complicated situation. Indeed. All right, I'm out of things. All right, we have a letter from The Wolf who writes on the subject of spellmaking. Hey guys, greetings from Jersey again. I'm writing a response to page 365 of Name of the Wind. To refresh your memory since it was so long ago for you guys, 
It was the page where Quoth explained Sigildry for the first time. The conversation then became a question on how spells were created and their origins. This is actually something I think about a lot. Every time I bake something, I recognize how exact and scientific it is. For something as simple as a loaf of bread, there are a lot of things that go into it. In human history, some iteration of bread seems to always exist, but my question is how? Who sat there looking at wheat and was like, you know, I think if I dried that and crushed it up real fine and then added some water to it with that yeast shit, it would make something yummy. Maybe I completely lack creativity, but the idea strikes me as completely daunting on how we as humans have made anything, especially something as complex, yet oh so simple as bread. As a fantasy reader, I then made the leap of, well, maybe magic does exist. Perchance we have the ability to create magic, but no one has yet thought of how we unlock it within ourselves. Maybe we'll, we will all get belated Hogwarts letters one day. I am loving listening to you guys so much, and I make it a point to carve out time of my day, so I devote my full attention, so I don't miss anything. Hashtag team not dead son for life. Best grace the wolf. Uh, firstly, I appreciate uh, their uh, joining my team on the team not dead son side. It was the correct choice, of mm-hmm. course. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. The correct choice right. for losers <laughs> who are <laughs> wrong. That had. Also, I've never on. thought about this concept, but they're totally right about the bread thing. Like, how is well, it that I, that, I, I that think thing has occurred across cultures? It's important to remember that bread didn't just like spring uh, into whole cloth one day. Someone just wasn't banging stuff together and produced a whole loaf of bread, right? There's probably a long, long hundreds, thousands of years of of tradition and trial and error and like doing a different version of it before accidentally discovering something new or, or someone experimenting and realizing that, Oh, you know what? This element can actually add this to it. Um, you know, and uh, there's a Calvin and Hobbes comment. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to think of the same Calvin's thing. Drinking a, yeah. Calvin's drinking a glass of milk and was like, who, why do we drink cow milk? Who's the first person to look at a cow and go, I think I'll drink whatever comes out of these things when I squeeze them. And that's you know a funny comic but the fact is like there's a long long tradition of like keeping pastoral animals for for meat and and they would have seen the younger uh animals the calves drinking the milk also and would have understood that it's something that can be can be yeah that one's a lot easier to reason out than bread because you see a calf drinking from a cow's udder and you see a baby drinking from a woman's breast and you go okay if the baby can do that and the calf can do that, what if I did that to the cow, you know, whereas like, well, to to me, the the bread question, the solution is time, right? Like, obviously you figure out like, okay, animals eat grass or animals eat wheat. So I know I can eat this wheat kind of doesn't taste very good. Well, what if I like, I don't know, grind it up first. And then it's, you know, a little bit easier to, to keep, right. To carry around with me. Oh no, it got wet. Oh, it makes this interesting paste. Well, I'll, I'll do this and, you know, I'll eat the paste. And then after a while, maybe it got left on a hot rock and it something happened to it. And they're like, oh, this thing, like it, 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 I think the, nothing got, nothing happened out of nowhere, right? It's a long, long tradition of everything. And this is the same with, with the question of magic, right? Like computers are rocks that think, right? And like, we didn't just bang rocks together and suddenly a computer occurred. There's a, and even the first computers are like leaps and bounds or rather the today's computers are leaps and bounds different from the first computers. And that all happened because as I forget who said this, but we stand on the shoulders of giants, right? Like all of the work that came before we benefit from it. And this is arguably, you know, why the, the invention of the written word and like the ability to record thought is the most important invention in, in human history, because that allows us to, 
capture and pass on this information perfectly. We're not just relying on, on word of mouth or like tradition. Now we can actually get instructions through time and build on the thinking of those that came before in a very real way. And so that to me is like where the magic will come from. And like, you know, computers are pretty freaking magical when you think about it. And there's all kinds of wild stuff that really shouldn't be possible that we can do. Um, and it's all because we can, we can continue to riff on what other people have done in the past. The world is magic. Well, I mean, to quote Arthur C. Clarke, any sufficiently advanced technology uh, is indistinguishable from magic, uh, which is, I think, the closest that we'll ever get. Uh, however, I would be delighted to meet a, a real wizard who could prove me wrong because magic is way cooler than science. Well, the, the other thing, actually, hang on, this is this is relevant. And this is something that Rothfuss is engaging with in this book is that if we ever did encounter a magic, we wouldn't think of it as magic because we would probably understand the reasons for it. And and like, that's what sympathy is. Or I mean, we don't know the reasons for it, but sympathy is like kind of mundane because everyone kind of gets it and understands that it's just like a thing that we can do. And that's how magic would be for us well, too. But then he also the goes... The magic is magical is because it doesn't but, exist. But I mean, he also then has other magics that operate the way that magic should operate, which is you can't explain it to somebody. It's not possible to do that. You just have to accept that it works. Yeah, exactly. And that is what is the fantasy element more so to me than the existence of sympathy. Yes. Much like magnets. (laughs) Magnets are magic. There we go. We came full circle. Now, Jordana, weren't you supposed to sing us a song? What? No. Why would I sing you a song? Yeah, here, take Mm. this white grease paint and uh, mm. clown up because you've got to oh. you've got to do some uh, what you've do got some it? rapping to do I violent think. Like, yeah. it's never happening I've oh. actually never heard this song about magnets okay well then we have to stop recording the episode so we can play it for you listeners we'll be back in a few minutes with bottles of Fago in our hands on tomorrow's page uh, the way